Thank you so much for tuning into Defining Moments Podcast. We appreciate your feedback. We appreciate your time, the time that you took to listen to their guests and their story. Any feedback you have will be greatly welcome. Improvements, critical thoughts, please let us know. Be brutally honest because that's how we like it. Enjoy your day. Stay undefeated. Welcome back to the Undefeated Show Defining Moments Podcast. We are located here in Project 3810, the house that Kyle Golding built. Speaking of Kyle Golding, we have the CEO, the co-founder of the Golding Group Consulting Firm, Strategic Consulting Firm, and he is a host of his own podcast, the Saturday Morning morning Hustle. Kyle Golding, welcome to the show. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. I I get the pleasure... (laughs) The luxury of, of the, the co-host. Yes. So, Senator Bice, yeah. Governor Stitt, me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking it. I'm taking it. I like it. That's awesome. Well, yeah, it's honestly because of how much you do for us, too, with the show that we have here. So, you honor us, we honor you. There you go. That's how it should be. Yes. Yeah. And you have amazing information you give out on Saturday mornings. I talk about this quite often and it's free. People of course. just have to listen and yeah. subscribe. That's it. It's a beauty of podcast, right? Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Before we get started, we have some gifts for you. I, I expected you would. I have gifts for you. <laughs> and if we could turn back time to share, we got some for her too. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's, a, that's the first time that she'll have heard sure. that one. I'm sure. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. The big box. Look yes, at sir. you. Okay. <laughs> Here you go. Man, this is like a soccer match. It is. There's, <laughs> right. There. It's it's the, the political exchange in between here. So, right off the bat, obviously, pink. Yeah. You know who that's for. Yeah. I, yeah. I'll take it. I love it. <laughs> and I got a, a patch, Ooh. a sweatshirt, oh. and two t-shirts for you. Yes. Here's the deal. This is a new logo of Saturday Morning Hustle. No one's ever even seen it, Ooh. and no one owns this swag. Ooh. I don't even own this swag. You Ooh. were the first. Oh, oh yeah. To have. I look love at that. that. The new logo. Heck yeah, man. Oh, and the jacket's so nice. Ooh. That looks so good. That's sweet. Yeah, that's a great logo. Wow. Did you do it yourself? I, well, of course I did. But I wanted to do something special for you. Oh man! Because I, I knew I, I know your love language is gifts. Yes. <laughs> I knew I knew this would be part of our conversation yes. today. Yeah. And so, how could I do something? How could I one up you? Because you always do amazing gifts. <laughs> Holy cow, folks! For for those of you just listening on the podcast, you guys got to go check out the YouTube video because this cutting board with my face lasered into it. I'm telling you folks, <laughs> this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Uh, I don't want to cut anything on it. I want to like <laughs> hang on the wall like art. That's beautiful. Yeah. Man, amazing, you guys. Thanks for trusting Thank us you so that much. photo. That's oh, what I asked you. That yeah. photo has never looked more interesting than <laughs> laser engraved into on a, on a beautiful board. piece of wood in the shape of Oklahoma, my favorite place in the world. Love it. Awesome. You guys are fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool. I'll well, make I'll sure Cher gets it. these yeah. as well. There's one for you and one for Thank Cher. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, absolutely. How's your day been going? Fantastic. Yeah. The heat broke. Yep. So, sure did. you know, had to get dressed up for you guys. 
<laughs> so good thing it's not quite as hot as yeah. it normally is. Yeah, I love it because I actually listened to your newest podcast with the guest, Gregory. Right, Gregory Jerome. Gregory Jerome, and you guys had a great conversation about dressing up. Yes. And I remember a few weeks ago, I saw you in the uh, NFL Hall of Fame jacket. (laughs) You were making fun of my sports coat (laughs) because it was was a a camel sports coat, technically, but you made fun of me because it looked like the same jackets they give the Hall of Fame guys when they go to NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, The other people in the room didn't get it, but I knew what you were talking about. (laughs) So it was kind of funny, but kind of (laughs) not. Oh, man. So we're actually super excited because we actually met off of Twitter. Right. Had coffee with you and Kyle Dillingham. Right, the Kyles. Yeah, the, the two Kyles <laughs> are the right Kyles. And we've just been intrigued about consulting, strategic consul- consulting. How did you get started into that? It's not a simple answer. I'll try to make it make sense sure. for, the, for the podcast conversation. But um, I got... The, there's a big job I'm trying to get. It's this huge, long answer, but I'm trying to make even consolidate better. So I've been working marketing exclusively since around 2000. Um, the 15 years before that, I was in the music industry. So transition out of the music industry, transition to marketing, was trying to use my degrees. You know, I got my 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 mass comm degrees from OCU and, and um, left the music industry for a variety of reasons and got into sort of corporate marketing uh, and working at the bottom, working as, you know, as a graphic designer and then a creative director and, and and working my way up through through the corporate ranks, if you will, uh, because I had experience running business, managing teams, etc. But ultimately, when I was on the creative side of marketing, I was always frustrated by sort of the whim of whoever asked for marketing to be produced, whether it was the VP of marketing, the VP of sales, or the president of the company, or just a sales person in general that said, we need a brochure, we need a better website, we need, I need a slideshow, you know, whatever it is. And, um, and this is, you know, 2000 through 2010 was this time period. So the tools that were available, this was kind of pre-social media, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of emphasis on websites, a lot of emphasis on printed materials, uh, ad campaigns, trade shows, things of that nature. And for me, they, the problem was they would say, I, I want this or I need this. I need something to give people when I go on calls, right? But they weren't examining what was actually motivating people to say yes to our to our business? Mm-hmm. Uh, they they were just looking at what made their job easier, or what or what they just thought they could do. That way, if they didn't get the sale, they could go, "Well, I left the brochure, or I directed them to the website, or something of that nature." And so, when sales are up, everyone's happy. But mm-hmm. when sales go down, uh, the saying goes, "Shit rolls downhill." Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, uh, this the sales department would decide it was the marketing department's problem, and they would come into the marketing department. And they would say, "You know, you guys are killing our." sales i would say you know give me some some validity like how, you know what's the feedback who's who's telling you this and it was ultimately i'm just t- i'm telling you i've been doing this 30 years i know what i'm talking about and, and there was no and but i couldn't even improve that like well how am i supposed to fix the problem when i don't understand how the problem happened right so my frustration in corporate marketing was not understanding what the real problems and the real solutions were mm-hmm. so that's how i started gravitating towards the strategy side of things i started reading and and listening to people speak and things of that nature um, this was still kind of pre even pre podcast really uh, but but watching youtube videos etc of the, how to get behind the decision-making process in marketing, advertising, public relations, things like this. Really understanding who your audience is, what your position is, messaging, things of that nature. And it hit me, <laughs> you know, if I don't want to be the guy who 
gets the crap rolled downhill on them. I have to be the person who changes the conversation or leads a different conversation yeah. about strategy, about positioning, about all the, the proper ways to do things and be less involved on the creative side of things. So that's sort of how I got started doing mm-hmm. that and getting focused on that. And then ultimately, my, my every pretty much all of my corporate jobs ended in the same way, which was uh, we're shutting the marketing department down <laughs> every time. It was everyone in the department got let go all at once because that's what corporate does, and that's a whole other conversation. But the last time that that happened, I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. So um, I'd already been talking to to Felicity, and Sean, or two of my business partners. Uh, we were we were having a conversation about a, another business idea that never came to came to fruition. So we were already having that conversation, and we just said, well, that didn't work out, and my corporate job's not working out, and her corporate job wasn't working out, and let's just do this thing. And so um, overnight, literally, you know, hey, I'm, my last corporate job has ended and tomorrow we're gonna start a new thing. We started the Golden Group. Wow. I like that. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. When you think about that overnight, you started the Golden Group, did you have a scope and how did you define roles for each member? The, one of the reasons that I wanted to go into business with the people I went into business with is was they were not marketing people. Uh, Felicity's an attorney by trade, but she had, she'd been working in, in emerging technology, specifically wireless, Bluetooth, things like that at, at that time. Um, and Sean was a, he's a corporate systems guy. He worked corporate too, but um, he was more of a kind of, a, of a, an industrial planner if you will, not necessarily engineer, those are different degrees, but they had different skill sets than I did. And I knew that they would make, push me in different directions. And I wanted to go in this more strategic side and more planning side than the marketing side anyways. I really did, didn't want to ha- open another ad agency because uh, there's hundreds of them and they're all really good at what they do and that's that's great and fine, but I didn't want to go back to just producing ads. I didn't make the sales go up and get yelled at by the client. Um, So working with people who were gonna push me out of my comfort zone was one thing. Definitely, again, not trying to be another ad agency. Like I I started off with my, you know, the skill set and experience and it just looked like, well, here's all the services that ad agency offers. I'm like, oh great, I'm gonna get killed. I'm I'm not, you know, one guy isn't gonna compete as an ad agency, so I started, Remembering, I'm trying to move away from those things. So um, focusing, you know, took the five-page resume and crammed it down into a one-page resume and then tried to um, combine my business partners. But just taking just a couple of the aspects and then ultimately doing what I would ultimately do for clients, which is force them to focus, force them to specialize and and think about differentiation. Uh, And that's one of the reasons that uh, we talk about the word growth strategic growth and, and strategic growth partners and everything come came back to growth you know driving sales improving audience increasing developing new systems developing markets all the things that we wanted to do for people that the core value of all that was growth mm. and so once i once that hit me once i'm like aha like i was going through a full legal pad of note, like of the whole, like every page on just full of notes and ideas and all this. And every time I had something was like, that's growth, that's growth. And I was like, ah, oh, finally I got a, I got a court in it. And once I realized what that was and it was strategy, it was, it was uh, planning and, and it was growth. Then it was a lot easier for us to say this, this is what we're going to do. Combining the three of us, what our, our skill sets were. Mm. What are some of the challenges in starting a business? Clearly, like you said, kind of overnight, it's born, you know, the Golden Group, but it's not. I mean, businesses are not born overnight. So what are some of the challenges you faced? It's true. It's it's a super oversimplification to say we started the business <laughs> overnight. So 
I had I'd been working in marketing for specifically for the, for the last ten years. I've been in the in the area for the fifteen years before that. Um, I also every time I worked a corporate job, I freelanced on the side. Yeah. Sometimes free things for, for, for charities and for friends. Sometimes just making some, you know, some beer money, you know, just making some extra money. I always explain that I freelanced because it kept me fresh. Because when you do corporate, like, you do the same thing over and over again. You know, it's like the same logo with the same colors and the same font and the same stock images yeah. over and over again. So I did a lot of side work to kind of keep me fresh and to keep me motivated. And so I did have potential clients already sort of hanging around. Mm-hmm. And our first client, the, the client that we based mm-hmm. the Golden Group off of, uh, was Bruce Reinhardt from Rococo's. You know, shout out to, to Chef Rhino. And the day I left my last corporate job, uh, they the reason that I left was they had given me a budget of $250,000 for the marketing department. And we generated $4 million in new sales, not sales, but new sales in 12 months on a $250,000 budget, about a 15 to one return ratio. They complained that they had to spend the $250,000. <laughs> But wow. they saw a 15 to 1 return. I'm like, That's are you kidding me? This yeah. is so uh, they were like, this, we, you know, this isn't, this is too mm-hmm. much money. It's not, we don't want to spend this money anymore. I'm like, fine, bye. I'm, I, I, you have to spend money to make money. Yeah. So I literally went to my favorite restaurant, Rococo's, right by the house, uh, middle of the day, had a cocktail and was trying to decompress before I went home and told my wife that I didn't have a job anymore <laughs> and had a conversation with the awesome man, Bruce Reinhardt, telling him, and just told him that same story right there. And he said, can you do that for me? <laughs> sure I can. And I went home and I started making notes and I had a, and the next day went back in with a proposal. Here's what we could do for you. Gave him an ABC, you know, pick what you like kind of thing. Yeah. And our, our first client was Rococo's because I was blowing off steam. It was depressing <laughs> having adult beverage after leaving a, t- a terrible, you know, organization that that didn't understand how things are supposed to be done and so it was an opportunity but I did have already had I knew Bruce sure uh, we were friends uh, go in the restaurant all the time because it's right by the house yeah. the original Rococo's is right by the house mm-hmm. um, known Bruce since the day they opened um, I had freelance clients I could call I had a roster of people that I could lean into Felicity had people in the industry that she you know she's a she's a very vibrant vocal redhead <laughs> female in the tech industry yeah. and, and this is you know this is over 10 years ago yeah. so um so people knew who she was sure. and so we had we did have opportunities we had things in place it wasn't a, a complete fluke like we're gonna you know hang our shingle the next and the, the next day it was off and running yeah yeah so yes it is hard to start a business um one of the reasons i talk to a lot of people nowadays about side hustles you know my mm-hmm. side hustle helped the Golden Group happened sure. because I've been freelancing because I was doing it on the side and I had relationships and day two of the Golden Group I was calling everyone I knew you know I'm not there anymore I'm here here's what yes. we're doing you know yeah. and, yeah. and you know no one hired me necessarily on the spot but I got the name out there and you know it's one of those things when it came back up we were we were in the queue people were aware and we're marketing people so it was easy to kind of put the word out yeah. um, you know put a website up and, and started working started you know hitting the streets and talking to people so um, we did have 
opportunities to do things. Side hustle helped. The, the, my freelancing helped. Uh, but going back to relationships, you know, yeah. going back to um, being in a business community. I was a member of the Public Relations Society of America and American Marketing and and uh, Ag Club, and so I was already doing those things. Went. You know, the next time I went was put the suit and tie on, you yeah. know, went back in as not not the, you know, the marketing director for this business, but but the guy running his new agency kind of stuff and, you know, shifted gears. Yeah. Um, so there's there's probably always more things ready for, to help you than people realize. Um, to answer the question, uh, my long-winded way of getting around to your question, we did have those things in, yeah. in place, but we capitalized on them. We took advantage. Like we, we hustled. We, you know, yeah. called people up, told them what. Right. Um, I left that. Can I? Can you hire me? You yeah. Know, you you want to hire work. us for this? Yeah. We, you laid we did the groundwork, which it so, takes. It takes a long time it, to lay groundwork for a business like that. And I like how you did it, or how you say, you know, you went about it, which is, you side hustle uh, for long enough, yes. you get the relationships, you build a good rapport, and then. You eventually that streamlines into something, and you know, and having a reputation. Um, at the time, I didn't think of it as a self brand, but now, like you know, there's a lot of conversations about self brand. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you have a self brand. You have a self brand. I definitely have a self brand now. I don't know that at that point in time I thought about it, but I right. like I was I was known had a reputation for doing certain things and reputation for how I treated people and acted professionally, etc. And so all those things go into it as well. How you hold yourself, carry yourself, your your ethics. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know whether you were on a, a, a guest speaker or on a panel or having you know part of discussions things like that yeah. maybe did favors for people help people definitely went back to all those nonprofits I did free work for it was like you can hire us now you yeah. know yeah. Uh, but it, that it's easier to have that conversation when you did some free work and, and it was really good and they and it was good it. and they had an yeah. idea of what it was like to work for you yeah so I recommend people all the time if you're thinking about quitting your job uh, especially if you know you have a decent job and uh, it's paying the bills you know now sometimes it's like hey you know, that place is closing tomorrow. We got to get out of here or, sure. or massive layoffs or, you know, in my case, like the whole department got shut down. But if you have the luxury of working a, a, a job to pay the bills and take care of your responsibilities and side hustle or, or turn a hobby into a business mm-hmm. or do something virtual, you know, that's web based mm-hmm. or, or anything like that, or the way, you know, you have a regular job, but you take time off to go and do the podcast. You've got the swag, you've got, you know, sponsorship opportunities, all those things. Um, it's a whole lot easier to to sort of limp your way into the the new job to replace yeah. the old job, yeah. Yeah. Um, or start a business where it's not like you know everything has to happen day one because yeah. you you know you're because you're paying bills sure. because you've been slowly building and creating reputation and audience and things like that. So I think that opportunity is probably better and today in 2022 than it absolutely has ever been because of technology and because a lot of people understand businesses now don't have they can be virtual yeah you know there was a time where if you said oh i have a business just a website they're like oh what what kind of scam is this what kind of (laughs) joke is this like your website isn't a business they really expected it like you had to be able to you know physically go into a space and like see things and like you know hold like if if it's not a solid item yeah it wasn't a real thing right yeah even other types of consulting like legal and accounting like the accountants but they have computers and they have offices and yeah. your and your lawyer has a diploma on the wall and he has an office and a secretary you know all of that stuff people used to think you that is what constitute a business and before that you know you used to have a manufacturing plant like if you said i, I have t-shirts people are like oh well where's the building where you yeah. make the t-shirts yeah. right. not you know i outsource it i drop ship it like any of those things so um people can start a business now 
easier and safer. And at some point, you got to take that leap and take that risk because yeah. the real reward comes from risk. Yeah. You, you know, you can, but you could set things up and make that transition a little bit more manageable for you and, and your family and your lifestyle. Sure. Um, so you kind of mentioned it during that where, well, like, I'd love to get into the mindset of strategic consultant for a minute and some of the challenges that you face when consulting with clients. Um, what are some of their mental roadblocks maybe coming into it? Like you talked about the corporate world being like, you have to spend money to actually make right. any money. Uh, what are some of those, like maybe one or two of those roadblocks that you run into with your clients where it's like, oh my gosh, mindset shift. I get what you're you're doing here. We, we call them red flags. So the number one red flag, this is the one, if, if you've ever heard me speak on a podcast over 10 minutes, you've heard me say this. That's how we've always done it. <laughs> is an automatic red flag. Sure. So why, you know, why is the podcast an hour? Why, you know, why do you have guests instead of just you talking? Or why does, you know, why does your coffee cup mug company have white mugs instead of, you know, whatever the question is about how your business is run. If the answer is, because that's how we've always done it, means they haven't really examined what they're doing. They're just, mm. they're just going through the process. And so the number one thing for us is we always force any, any client, even in a conversation, a lot of prospective clients, when they're trying to decide if they want to hire us or not, you know, um, when they say, I say, what's your problem? Like, what do you want from your business? Is, is there a problem? Is the business in trouble or is it doing well, but it could be doing better? You know, is it, and whatever the conversation about, like we want to make more money, we want to increase sales, whatever it is, I ask them, you know, what's, What's the biggest roadblock? What's the problem? What, what can we fix for you? And a lot of like, well, we do this and we do this and we do this. And I say, why? And I say, because that's how we've always done it. Like automatically, like you have to <laughs> examine that. Now, it might be the right answer. Yeah. But you have, to, you have to know. You have to go through the process. You have to, what we call red teaming. You have to literally let me attack it. Like, yeah. why, why, why is it A when it could be B? Or why is it seven steps when we can do it in five? Or how come, why don't you outsource it? And I don't care what the answer is. I care that you know and that you've done research and analysis to figure out if that's the right answer. Sure. And in some cases, you know, knocking two cents off the cost of, of a coffee mug, if you produce a million coffee mugs, could, could, could be really seen in the bottom line. So that's number one, red flag number one. That's how we've always done it. Uh, number two is, and it's kind of akin to that, but a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, or especially when the founder is still involved, and this is, I see this in family businesses a whole lot. So um, someone started a business in 1950, 1960, 1970, and now they're ready to retire and, and their adult children are ready to take over. And there's a whole lot of conversation about how they move forward in the future. And at any point, if you sort of challenge the how we've always done it, or because dad said so, or the CEO said so, or the boss said so, or the person in charge said so, people often when they're in a position where they're not used to being told no, don't like to be told no, and they take it personally sure. as if you're saying, you know, if you're like, why is this the best idea? Let's, let's examine if this is the best idea, if this is the way we've, we've, we've always done it. They, what they hear is, man, you're stupid. You don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's not true. Not right. true at all. <laughs> right. And even worse, uh, like, I'm we work with a lot of manufacturing clients, and so typically the head person in charge is an engineer, uh, architect, an engineer, something of that nature. And not a not only are they super analytical and not very creative, 
I have a fun with engineers too, right? <laughs> but they're super smart at what they do. Yes, yeah. And so sometimes the problem is sales or marketing yes, or yeah. presentation or delivery or logistics. Yes. And it's completely not what they do. Yes. And what they hear is, you're not a very smart business person. And they're like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. What I'm saying is, you're an engineer and you spend all your time engineering better products. I can help you with your marketing team because I have expertise there. I I can help you with a, a product development process. Like I can ask a lot of questions, but ultimately when you say to me, tinsel strength is X on this, I'll take your word for it. I'm yeah, not right. an engineer. I don't know. And that's, that's your job to be the, the guy who knows that. Uh, but if you hear, I don't think you're very smart, or I don't think you're very good at this, or you should be replaced because I challenged your ideas, that, that, that's a failing. Yeah. And it happens a lot, and, and like I said, it happens a lot in small businesses and, and um, family-run businesses because a lot of people, it's because people are afraid of hurting people's feelings. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I tell people all the time, like, I don't have to launch with you. Yeah. I could come in, and I can examine your organization, and I could tell you, that's good, that's good, that's not very good, that needs to be improved, and that sucks. Mm -hmm. and I can tell you that because I don't have to have lunch with you. I don't. I definitely don't have to have Thanksgiving dinner with you. <laughs> and so a lot of people in an organization, up to the head person, uh, their job is based on not pissing off the head person. Sure. Mm. As opposed to challenging them to do better. Sure. And so that's that's my mindset. That's what I have to do. And, and I have to get them to understand challenges to your systems this is not a personal attack. It doesn't mean you're not good at your job, yeah. not very smart. In fact, you're a smarter and a better leader if you're open to improving your process. Yeah. If I can get that done, the rest of my job's easy. That's nice. true. Speaking of which, so you're the subject matter expert on growth consulting down that genre. So if I have a small business, I come in and say, hey, Kyle, I need your help. And you give me all these ideas. And I start pushing back. And I say, no, nah, man, that's not going to work. Right. Have you ever had that happen? All the time. Happens really? all day, every day. I have a, a wow. very unofficial, what I call three strike rule. So, and typically, you know, we have that conversation. What are you trying to achieve? How can we help you? And, sure. and, uh, and there's a, often a big kind of report. Here are the 50 things that you could do to, you know, to help yourselves of your da da da. And uh, often the client's like, oh, yeah, these are great ideas. You know, they're looking at the ideas, they're talking about them, they're thinking about how much money they're gonna make and how much better things are gonna be. And then of course, they don't work for me. They go and do what they're going to do and they're gonna check back in because we've got this back and forth relationship. And I'm gonna ask them like, well, 27 of the things have been implemented, but the other, you know, 23 haven't. Can you tell me what's going on? And sometimes they have good reasons and sometimes they don't. And at some point when I say, you know, now this was item number one. We told you the most impactful will make you the most money or save you the most cost. You're not doing it. And I, now I really need you to tell me why, because it goes back to that original conversation of if the marketing doesn't work or the sales go down, they blame someone, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you can only blame me if you take my advice. And if you don't take my advice, I'm gonna let you know you can't blame me. <laughs> so right. you do have to have that conversation sometime. Like if it's an item 48 of 50, like, oh, okay, everything else is probably working well enough. Right. It's probably not, mm -hmm. but if it's item number one or two, and you know the CEO is like, well, I know I told you that was a good idea, but we're not doing that. Well, that might ruin the other 48 suggestions. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and so you have to have that conversation with them. So I, I have official, unofficial three-strike rule. The first time I'm like, you're messing up. 
you're failing and here's what we talked about and and I and I'm well, I have notes I keep notes and, and I'm like you said this on this date you you know you said this and yeah. here's the research we provided like we don't do anything that's not backed up by research and analysis I could hand a piece of paper to any of my clients and go here are all the, the reasons we said this is the right thing to do wow. and you agreed to it on this date you're not doing it first time they say well Okay, you know, I'm the boss and I get to make the decision. Okay. But now that changes our relationship. Yes. Mm. And I have to address you differently and I have to have, and I have to suggest new things differently because you've cut off my avenues of potential. So then goes I try to go back. You know, we could do these other things, but it'd be much more effective if we go back to this thing. They say no again. That's strike mm. number two. Now it gets into a little bit of an ego, a little bit of I'm the boss, because they are the client. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in charge of their business. I don't take over their business. Yeah. Right. Um, but I'll try a third time. Like, I really would like you to look at this idea and ask me questions, you know, and let's get some f- feedback going. Like, if I can if I can educate them, or even better, if I can convince them it was their idea, then the likelihood of it being implemented successfully and followed up and used in perpetuity is is way high, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm always trying to think about how do I like how do I say like you say you want this and here's here's a way to do it. Don't you want to do this and get them to kind of loop around to like oh yeah I do want to do that. But the third time that and typically about that third time they're also like I like you've asked me three times. <laughs> Fine, strike three. You're on your own. Yeah. But do understand that at our next quarterly review or at six months at the end of the year, when you look at me and go, well, things didn't go as planned, I'm going to say because you are the one who, who, who left the plan. And the, thing, the, the luxury for me working with the CEO, working with the decision makers, with leadership teams, is I get to have those conversations with them. And the ones who want to do it right, they take the feedback and they do the right things. And then we keep on working, you know, now we keep getting better. We keep getting better. Of course, those are the clients we want to keep. Sure. And that's how we keep them. And so yeah. we're sort of not, and the clients who want to do what they want to do anyways, nowadays, I, I, even the interview process, we're like, maybe we're going to hire you or not. I'm, I'm right up front with like, oh, well, I'm going to make you do this, this, and this. And you're going to have to justify all these answers. You're going to have to, and if, and if they don't like that process, they're not going to hire us. Yeah. I'm really good. Like it used to be like, we want your business, right? I'll tell you whatever you want to hear to like yeah. to start the relationship and then we'll talk you into it. Yeah. I don't talk people into anything anymore. I I give them the facts. I give them the background. I give them like our track record, 10 years of this. And and if they don't see it, fine. I'll, I'll give you some recommendations to some people who would who work the way you would like to work. But that's not how we work. And yeah. in fact, sometimes we like clients club. Yeah. You know, sometimes we go, we've been working together for a minute. But we've now asked you five times to do this. This is the most impactful thing. You're not going to do it. You can't be successful with it. And I'm not going to go down with that ship. Yeah. So we're going to end our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Makes sense. So let's take a little deep dive into your personal side. Oh, here he goes. Chicago. <laughs> here he goes. When you think back about your life, what's maybe a defining moment or two that's helped shape you down a certain path? Probably one of the biggest moments of my life was summer 1999. I was 28 years old, and I broke my neck. I was mountain biking, and I uh, went over the handlebars at about 30 miles an hour, broke my neck, broke my jaw, put one half of my face on the other side of my face, uh, the whole nine. Ended up, woke up a couple days later in the hospital, 
And I, leading up to that, the, the 12 months leading up to that, I was on the road 300 days on, on tour, on concert tour, sleeping in tour buses and hotel rooms. And I was already getting close to 30. <laughs> and then that happened, you know, which physically took me out of the game for a good minute. Uh, but also just the idea of going back out on the road and, and sleeping on a tour bus with a bad neck uh, was, was not plausible. So that is when I transitioned out of the music industry and into more full-time marketing, et cetera. And I, I've been doing a lot of those same things in the music business, just specifically with musicians and tours and, and things like that. So I'd started in production, but I was doing a lot of tour management, logistics, I was doing some artist management and promotions and, and using some of those skills already. I was also using a computer, which it sounds silly to say, oh, in 1998, if you had computer skills, like you were kind of above a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I've been using a Mac uh, since I was a kid and then we used them exclusively, you know, for, for audio production in the studio. So I was very, very skilled in those plays and we'd done a lot of, I'd done a lot of graphic design work because we had a Mac and we had graphic design <laughs> software and we need to make posters and we need to make CD covers and t-shirts and, and I, so I had those skills and I had the experience and I could sort of prove it. Um, and so I transitioned into uh, my first corporate job, if you will, and I was um, the junior graphic designer for Quick Print. And I took that job, hated, like, I literally went from, like, wearing shorts and concert t-shirts every day of my life to, like, having to put on a jacket and tie to come be the graphic designer in, in the production center at Quick Print. But within a month, I was running the department because previously I'd managed teams of hundreds of people and yeah. I understood logistics and scheduling and budget and, and <laughs> you know, so everyone in the organization was like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. But my resume was pretty thin because I'd, I'd essentially been an independent contractor from 1985 to around 2000. So um, got that first corporate job and worked my way up and then one of the clients there was like, Every time we come in here, you're the guy answering the questions. You're the guy to solve the problem. You come work for us. And then, you know, within a couple of months, was running that department and, and moving my way up through there like that. So there, it's an absolute transition. Um, I, I think if the week before that accident, if you just said, hey, when are you going to get out of the music business? I'd be like, never. Like, I love this life. Uh, but that was a catalyst for me to make that transition. Now, you know, 20, over 20 years later, I'm like, oh, you know, this was probably the right path and it makes a lot of sense. And I'm super happy right in the space I'm at now. And the music industry has changed so much over that time, but marketing has changed and, and everything, communications, everything has changed because of technology and everything else. But uh, it's a different game now than it was then. And I still know people that are still doing the same job that they were doing in 1998 yeah. in 2022. And I'm like, good for you. I'm doing different stuff. <laughs> so that was definitely probably absolutely the biggest transition. I kind of reference like um, three career changes because changing from like marketing execution to marketing strategy, it's not a giant leap. It was a change in mindset and a change in focus, but I was still sort of in the same industry and sort of providing the same things for the, for clients just in different ways. Yeah. I definitely see it as, as a transition. So that leaving corporate and, and putting the Golden Group together. And then, like I said, working with business partners on the Golden Group was the freelance thing. I was always like side money, but never huge. It never was like, this is worth, this was going to replace my day job. Mm -hmm. Not that I was trying to, but it just wasn't working that way because I only had a certain skill set. And I needed to expand and work with people who brought different things to the table and had different relationships and different industries. And so working with 
um, Sean and Felicity to launch the Golden Group before we added Pritch a few years later allowed me to be out of my comfort zone and do something different. And that's why it worked yeah. as opposed to when I was trying to do stuff on my own. Or if I had insisted on being an ad agency, I could maybe I could have made that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a very red ocean to get into at the time. I was like, yeah. let's do something different. So those are the big transitions from music industry into marketing and from marketing ex- execution into marketing strategy have been the big spaces. It's easy to point to the, yeah. <laughs> that day and go, well, yeah, the day before that, I had no plan to make a change, but the day after that, I knew I had to. Yeah. You talked about transitioning and music industry changing in the last 20 years. Marketing has too, and there's been more negativity in the last, actually, in my record, what I can reconcile from the last 15 years. Absolutely. So with that, It gets worse every year. Yeah, does it? Yeah. So how do you deal with negativity personally, whether it's someone coming in and yelling at you because they're failing at their own projects or even on social media. How do you deal with negativity? I knew he was going to ask this question. Because <laughs> I like to be positive. Yeah. I definitely like to be positive. I put effort into being positive. Sure. I think because early in my life in the, in the, in, in the music industry and when I first got into cor- to corporate marketing, um, I didn't necessarily have great role models for that life. And I had a ton of success in the mar- in the in the music business really early, like as a teenager, and so everything sort of came easy, and it was sort of like, oh yeah, no, I'm 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 the shit. Like, look mm-hmm. at me, mm-hmm. I, I'm out here making money. You know, I was making money. When I think about it now, I'm like, it wasn't that much money. But for <laughs> someone who's 19, 20, someone who's in college, it was really good money, and it was interesting experience, and getting to travel the world. And then in my mid 20s, I did start to make really good money. Now. What I know now about business, if I'd go could go back, I could have made ten times as much money. So I had, you know, I had a couple six figure years in in my mid twenties, which at that time was just a stupid amount of money. But I did stupid things with it, and I didn't invest it very well, and I didn't build the system in order to make that a lifetime thing. So um, I definitely learned some lessons there. But back to your original question, because I know this is an important question for you, so I don't, I'm not trying to skirt it. In that coming up. What I, the, the advantages I had was work ethic, was absolutely, I just, I would outwork anyone, like, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Okie who grew up on a farm, like, I'll put in 20 hours a day, I don't, I don't care, I'll never, I'll never complain about it, but I also thought competing with people, having competition was mean you had to beat them. Like, I'm not working hard to make the, the concert tour better, I'm making, working hard so that anyone who was gonna try to get my job, I crush them. Mm-hmm. Like I pushed them out of the way. I I was I, I determined to make a reputation in the industry as the best guy you could hire. And if that meant, you know, outworking someone else or making them look bad or taking advantage of a situation like, oh man, you know, Rick's five minutes late. I'll step in and do his job. I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. Yeah. I'm never late. I was very aggressive like that and, and very negative. Like I wasn't focused on, well, if Rick's late, let me help Rick. You know, I was focused on, I'll jump in there and I'll take advantage of that. And being young and idealistic and not having role models who showed me the bigger picture was, was the better option. Like I said, I, I created opportunities for myself and I made money, but I probably also closed doors. I didn't realize, and it's easy now, you know, 30 years later, it's easy to look back and go, oh yeah, I did some, I did some dumb stuff. I burned some bridges and I did some things and, and uh, I'll never be able to make up for those things. But 
being able to then retrospectively look back, once I got into a couple of jobs where I had some good role models, people who were, who were like, don't worry about today's sale, go build a relationship. And, and, and if the client's mad at you, let them, you know, let them, let them yell at you and then come into my office and you yell at me and I'll take it because I'm your boss. And then together we'll, we'll, we'll work out how to fix it and how to solve the problem and how to build a relationship with that client and understanding like, wait, why are you, why am I yelling at you? You didn't make a mistake. I, I didn't even make the mistake. The client's just a jerk. Like, but getting through letting other people being negative, but not, not kind of putting that on other people. Um, and, and sort of if someone ruins your day, don't let someone else ruin your day, having thick skin, you know, the client's mad and there's no good reason. Then why do you let that affect you? Yeah. You know, it goes back to, if I told you like, Hey, I don't think you're very smart. You know, you're smart. So why would you let that affect you? Like, yeah. wait, I, I know I'm smart. What, what is it, you know, if some stranger just walked up to you and said, you know, you'll never be successful. Like, you don't know me. <laughs> so why would you let someone who barely knows you yeah. affect you in that way? So mm. I started learning those lessons and then started watching other people who were hugely successful and greatly respected and, and people that everyone, including myself, looked up to and said, I, I want to be like that person. And realizing that their approach was the exact opposite of, of that kind of slash and burn approach I had, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I had a I had an ego. I was all like, I'm the best, and I'm here I'm here to take your job. Like when I got when I would join a concert tour, I, I'd be like, Oh, I'm your assistant. End of the week, I'll be your boss. Like I was I was that guy. Not proud of it, but you got to admit you're when you're wrong. Sure. And it worked to sometimes, you know, sometimes people are looking for that, that guy, like, yeah, that guy will do anything, but then they take advantage of you. And, and then the, the 10 people that you kind of stepped over the next time you needed someone to help you out, they weren't there for you. Yeah. But the 10 people that you worked, collaborated with or helped out or worked along the way, maybe took a shorter path to success, but you brought everyone with you, or at least you were polite and easy. You know, sometimes people just go, oh, you're better than me. Go, you know, go get it. Yeah. Or, you know, call me when you need me. Having that support system now is so much more effective and so much more powerful. And when you say, if you were to say, well, what, what's the next 10 years look like? I've got, a, I've got all of that underneath me and I've got all that around me and I've got all these, all these things that I can depend upon that I didn't have then. So I learned just through the process that being negative and being aggressive was not the way to go. I finally had some good role models who really showed me. Uh, ultimately, I've had more bad bosses than good bosses, which just made the good bosses look like when you just go, oh my God, how, why isn't everyone like this person? Yeah. Oh yeah, because they, they suck. And this and this person is being a really good boss. Well, now I want to be a really good boss. Mm-hmm. I want to be like them. I, like, I want to be the guy that everyone in the building goes, you know who's cool? That part, you know, yeah. hey, go work for him or hire that, you know. Like, yeah. you, so understanding that, just getting a worldly view of what success is and how to achieve things and how to maintain it and how to bring people along with you is sort of how I shifted my mindset from, from like I said, like slash and burn. Like, yeah. let's, we're, we're here to fight. Like, I loved it. I was like, oh, let's fight. Yes. <laughs> Let's do that. You know, now I'm like, no, you know, there's no such thing as competition. It's just people that make you better. It's like you versus you, right? Yeah. Every day you have to get up and you have to be the best version of you, put your best foot forward. And when you're doing, when you're doing your best, the rise comes. Yeah. You don't have to step on anyone else. And it took me 30 years to figure that out. But now I've completely, I mean, I'm 100% in on it. Like, wow, I, I couldn't imagine having any other approach than that. Hmm. Man, 
<laughs> That's good stuff. Now, when it comes to social media, I just ignore it. Yeah. That's smart. I made a rule a couple years ago. It was a New Year's resolution. If it doesn't directly affect me or people I care deeply about mm. on social media, I'm not in it. Yeah. If someone jumps up, even like my friend Bruce at Rococo's. I love Bruce and I love the restaurant. Some people get on there and go, man, I had a crappy night at Rococo's. Those people are, they, they suck. They're not a client of mine anymore. Bruce is a friend, but he's an adult and he can handle himself. Yeah. I don't need to get into a back and forth on Twitter about yeah. whether or not that restaurant is good, whether or not, you know, your your football coach is a jerk or not. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's fun to watch, but I don't need the back and forth. I got a I got a full-time job. I run a company. I've got a I've sure. got a wife. I you know what I mean? I got yeah. a life. Yeah. So, I just I avoid as much of that crap as possible and to a point uh, you know, the worst thing you can do on social media is talk about politics. It's a cesspool of people who just jump in with the worst input, have no idea what you're talking about, no idea where you're coming from, no care to like meet you in the middle. They just want to shout at you and yeah. yell at you. And so, like, why would, don't do it. Don't go down that path. Like, avoid it at all costs. And when I see it in my feed, I, I mute it or I unfollow people. And, and uh, I, just, I just don't need that frustration in my life. And I don't care. Like, some say, hey, you know, so-and-so was saying something about you on Twitter. I'm like, all right. <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> Nothing I do about it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. What are a couple questions you wish people would ask Kyle that no one ever asked? I also knew he would ask yeah, me this one. Yeah, yeah. Right? You have an advantage, but then you need to answer those questions. <laughs> it's true. So I knew you were going to ask me. That's why I'm like, I hope Marky asks us the question. <laughs> but it's okay because that's what makes your podcast great. And, you right. know, we've talked off air about your podcast, what I like about your interview style, what I like about the format here. And so I can't skirt it when I think it's great. So the questions that I wish people would ask me, um, I present myself as a person who knows a lot of things, has my act together, and is here to help everyone else. So no one ever asks me if I need anything. And I'm not asking you to ask me that. I'm just saying <laughs> that's one of the questions no one asks me. It, and it's, it's my own doing because my self-brand is, is a helper and a giver and a collaborator and someone who has it together and I'm, I'm coming at you with expertise. So why would I need anything from anyone? Mm -hmm. That's but, a good yeah, one. People don't ask me that one. That is a good one. Yeah. Margie, you got a couple questions for uh, Mr. Golden here? Well, I one of my favorite ones, which I know we saved to the end, um, which is how you can how you want to be remembered. One is is one that I really want to hear about, but uh, it's a little bit of an extension of that last conversation about sure. I had about my shift in mindset. Sure. Um, about being intentionally positive and helpful and collaborative because I do feel that's the proper way to do things and it's the way my my real role models did things so the the elevation of that yeah. um, I'll tell at, at 51 I'm halfway through this this life so I have plenty of time to do more and I'll have 60 years of that approach as opposed to the first 30 years of yeah. you know of of not having that approach <laughs> so I would just like to expand upon that further and further and further the more people that you can that you can influence in that way the more you can create systems that benefit people uh it's it's not just it's one thing to you know for the three of us to have a conversation in the room and for all three of us to go you know that, that makes sense to me and i'm going to apply that to my personal life we want everyone listening to the podcast and maybe like take that in and that's 10 that's 100 that's a thousand that's ten thousand people but maybe if we can improve 
how business gets done because I'm in the business business, right? So maybe how people approach business and how they build corporate culture and how they make decisions, maybe that can bleed up into some of our civic leadership and some of our politics and some of our other role models, maybe big role models, whether they're sports or entertainment or thought leadership, whatever it is. If enough of us collectively ad- adapt these ideas that we can, we can do things better together than separately, then we can make things overall much better. And so mm-hmm. if I if I were to be able to influence that in ways over my next 50 years, I w- that would be super happy to be mm-hmm. in that catalyst role. I like that. That's good. Mm-hmm. What are you most proud of? Well, that's a good question there. Probably my ability to recognize my faults and then do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Ultimately, kind of my, my role in life is problem solver. I've solved problems for people. I've solved problems for, for businesses. I solve problems for business leaders. I solve problems for decision makers. I help them solve problems better. So I have to solve my own problems better. I have to have better approaches, better, a better process. And so being able to self-correct myself, being able to transition from industry, like from major industry changes. And then, you know, I think now, like I said, like how things are changing rapidly and what the next 10 or 20 or 50 years looks like that I assume there'll be a few more transitions there. But as long as I'm sort of elevating in the right way, that's what I'm hoping for. And that would be what I'm most proud of. When it comes to life, one of the things some people some people find this endearing. Some people find it odd. So I'm an Oklahoma born and bred. I love the state. I love, you know, I grew up in Yukon not far away, but I've lived yeah. in Oklahoma City longer than I've lived there. So I kind of call Oklahoma City home, but Oklahoma's home. You know, all my tattoos are Oklahoma tattoos, right? And so I'm very proud of where I'm from because of the people that are here, you know, any, you go anywhere in the world, right? You go, where are you from Oklahoma? Like, oh, we hear the people are nice. Yes, they are. It's the people, and and then it's the people, because um, we're talking about being proud of yourself, right? Of course, it's my personal role models. My, you're gonna get me all, you're gonna get me all verklempt. I was, I knew, I was like, you're gonna try to make me all, all weep here. <laughs> but my grandfather, my father, are my two biggest role models. My grandfather uh, was a farmer, rancher. Dropped out of school in sixth grade to go work on the family farm. Ultimately, uh, had huge success and owned a bunch of businesses and 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 owned cattle and and land and racehorses and and did amazing things with his life because of his work work ethic. And he was I, I call him Will Rogers. He was that guy. He never met a stranger. Like everywhere he went was you know he could just walk into a room, start talking to people. You know, uh, one of the greatest memories from when I was a kid about eight or nine we went to the national finals rodeo every year it was downtown at, at the, the myriad yeah. and uh, one time we got on the elevator from the parking garage and Barry Switzer came on the elevator <laughs> and it was like I'm with grandpa we're at the rodeo there's Barry Switzer oh my god bigger than life right coach <laughs> yeah. Switzer yeah. and and my grandpa just and he wasn't a football fan, but he everyone knew who Barry Switzer was. And he was like, Coach, how you doing tonight? Well, Kurt, just fine, you know, coming to the rodeo. And they just, just had a conversations like with their old friends. So uh, my one of my greatest role models in life, my grandfather, because self-made man, work ethic, treating people properly, um, having a, a positive outlook. So you see where all this is coming from, right? Mm-hmm. My father's the same way, you know, a... a blue collar guy um his father left when he was very small so a single mother who worked 
100 jobs at a time to support him and his sister. So um, grew up tough, uh, made, you know, made a career for himself and, and got a little bit of college and, and, and then went to work and raised a family and, you know, did all of those those things. Um, same thing, uh, big sports guy. So all about the things you learn from being on a team, you know, teamwork and um, learning from your mistakes and you have to practice and, and again, work ethic, you know, if that, that work keeps coming up. But mm-hmm. um, I learned that from my, my father, absolutely. And how to be a good winner and how to be a good loser. You know, um, and you know we all have more losses than wins in life. You got to just learn. You know, it's not it's not a big deal as long as you learn a lesson and move forward. Um, you know, you put practice in and you apply the lessons so that you get better. And it's not about beating the other team. It's about you know creating your best performance. These are all the things that I learned from these people who are my my personal role models. So um, that all rolls into being proud of who I am and where I'm from. And that's that's the answer to that question is because the whole time, well, pretty much my whole life, but absolutely when I was in the music business, everyone told me, you have to leave Oklahoma. You got to move out of Oklahoma. You got to move. You got to leave. You got to be in Nashville. You got to be in New York. got to be in L.A. Yeah. I went to those places. I wanted to come home every time. Now, New York, I, I man, and I had like a week rule, like after a week in New York, I got to leave. I, I don't not a fan <laughs> of New York and I spent uh, I had a six month stint in New York uh, working on an album for a local band that local musical group of four fellows who sing songs that you might know if you're a fan of music in the 80s and 90s uh, but <laughs> um, it like it depressed me it made me sad to not be in Oklahoma and around Oklahomans and and I love Nashville like if I if we were forced to move out of the state I probably would end up in Nashville maybe Texas but Nashville um but I still like when I was there. I wanted to come home, and you know, I had a had a gig in San Diego for a while, and and I, it was awesome. Like surfing is great, and then eventually it's like, all right, I've surfed enough. I I want to go home, you know. And so this is home, and I try to represent that, and I try to carry that in myself, and I try to explain to people what it is that's magical about this place. Mm-hmm. You talk about the '80s, four members. And that generation, what I remember is the hair bands like Monte Crew, Poison, Guns N' Roses, things like that. Which which band? The the band I was referencing. The reason I stayed in New York for so long was I worked for Color Me Bat. Oh, nice, Oklahoma. Yeah, right. Yeah. I worked in their demo before they got signed. That's awesome. I worked in the studio where they recorded their demo. Uh, they got a deal, and it was one of those right. You, you always see in the movies, right? You get a record deal, and you yeah. take all your friends with you. Yeah. They took all their friends with them to New York, and and. Uh, there were a bunch of other of their friends who were singers and rappers and whatnot. They were trying to get their deals, and and uh, they had a studio in their in their setup to work on their album. And uh, this whole it's a whole complex story. But I got the opportunity to go and be a part of that process. All for love. Is that, is they were sex you up. Well, that, that song yeah. too. But I'm just yeah, yeah, they. They had a few. They had a few. Yeah, yeah. A few well, little bangers back in the day, okay, yeah. right? Yeah. No pun intended. Why are you guys more questions? I think we did have some user questions. Oh, right. Some Twitter questions, Twitter questions right? Twitter questions. Got to so get the Twitter questions I in. I definitely want to at least hit one or, <laughs> one or so of those. Speaking of Twitter, yes. who are your couple favorite followers that you like to follow on Twitter? Oh, that's a great question. Because a lot of my Twitter stuff is weird. I follow a lot of political people, but mm. I, talk, I told you I don't like to talk about 
politics on Twitter, but I follow people because I find them interesting. I find politics very interesting. I just sure. try to, you get in the discussions with people who go sideways, so I don't, I don't do it. I just watch it from afar. So some political people I follow, um, there definitely is a lot of business people that, yeah. that I follow and pay attention to. Um, copy on the spot, who am I, who, who are my, some of my favorite people, except of course, the two people sitting at this table right now. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> Outside of that, you know. Uh, you know, obviously the last six months, OU football has been interesting yeah. on Twitter. It's been very interesting. When the softball team was doing their thing, OU athletics on Twitter was amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's been really fun to watch that and sort of that's the the joy I think of Twitter. What Twitter's supposed to be for me, anyways, yeah. or like the early days of Twitter when we like we were all watching Thunder games and like tweeting like, oh, that was a good dunk and mm. look at look at I was I almost said the name of the guy that no one likes anymore. Look at Russell Westbrook do a good job, right? On you know because you're tweeting about it and we're like tweeting about Jocelyn Allo hitting home runs yeah. and. And Coach Venables is here, and we got the recruit today, you know, and that kind of stuff. So I think that's what's great about Twitter. I like I like things that are interactive like that, where people are kind of um, giving you a, a window into what's going on that you normally don't get a chance to, yeah. to pay attention to and, and participate in just the smallest of ways. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I know that you didn't want to mention his name, but I'll mention it because he's one of my favorite players, Kevin Durant, so that's who you're probably talking about. Uh, that dude, Snake. We might go sideways on that. Snake. <laughs> this is not the podcast. Snake. Probably, but Cupcake. <laughs> yeah, gluten free. <laughs> Looking to get traded again, of course, to the, only to the two teams that are, have the best chance of winning the title again. Yeah. Ring chaser. <laughs> Boston, right? Celtics. And that, that's the, the, the latest rumor. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> okay. What, um, what really just pisses you off? Pisses me off. Um, ugly people. As in the way they act, yeah. mm. um, where people are ugly to each other, goes back to that conversation about like I don't want to get into it on Twitter. Yeah. It's because people are there to attack people and to to get at them and sort of, sort of win yes. arguments as opposed to connecting and relating to each other or just saying like I, I disagree with you, but okay. Yeah, you know, yeah, okay. um, a few weeks back, you, you and I were were sitting next door having a, a drink and I had a conversation <laughs> with someone that got way sideways, and yeah. then at the end we were like, okay. Yeah. Like, you can have that opinion. I'll have mine. and Everything's fine. And, you know, I'm capable of doing that. There's so many people in order or not. So I, I, mm. I hate people that they want to take those shortcuts and just get right to, like, you know, s- trying to stick it to you as opposed yeah. to, like, having conversations and, yeah. and being commutative. Ultimately, uh, thieves and liars. Like the people yeah. who steal, whether it's stealing ideas or stealing property, or you know, or dis, or or fr- defrauding people, uh, it's the, it's the cheap, crappy. It's the opposite of work ethic and, yeah. and mm-hmm. treating people, yeah. and and you can't really steal without lying. I mean, liars are just, uh, just thieves and and undercover. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to tell you about that conversation. They got sideways. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've heard this story. It was something. So I'll, I'll, it was pretty epic. I look forward it, it to that. It wasn't just a conversation that lasted five minutes. This thing carried on for like at least 20, maybe 21 minutes. Yeah. And the sun was beating down on me. Like, it's hot. It's gotten hotter. <laughs> so, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of your morning habits? Coffee. <laughs> coffee, coffee, coffee. Uh, I, get, I get up at five with the dogs. Um, take them out and, and let them do their business, uh, fire up the computer, see if I missed anything in the three hours that I was asleep, and um, then try to get a workout in. Uh, some days I'm good at that, some days I'm yeah. terrible when it's 100 degrees at yeah. 5.30 in the morning, it's, yes, yeah. it's a little bit harder to do. Uh, but 
in a, in a best case scenario, get a, get a, some exercise in, uh, get a shower. Got a, I got a, I got like a good hour before my hair dries, so I got to sit and sip coffee and <laughs> look at Twitter and you know get my head right for the day. And I'm a planner. You know, I like to I like to lay out to do yeah. list and and so um, checking the to do list, making sure you know that I'm prepared for the day. This things of that nature. So I'm up early, although I hate it. I'm not a morning person, uh, but I also don't sleep. So um, the dogs get me up, and I'm on their routine, not mine. Yeah. One of my favorite tweets that you do tweet out on Sunday nights is get your to-do list ready. So how's your to-do list looking so far this week? I'm on track. Good. I'm exactly on track. I moved a couple things around, but it was okay. And my wife's out of town next week, so my week will be different than a normal week. And so I'm planning for that. I'm planning to get some things that I can do from the house so I can mm. take care of the dogs and, and be around the house more because she's gone. She okay. works from the ho- house, and so they're used to the, her being there. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. try to – I'm changing my routine for them and um, kind of front-loading my week with some things I can do, and then I'll put some other things to the back of the week that are low priority. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm a – I have too many ideas in my head at any given time, and if I don't structure a lot, yeah. then I'll end up with one idea that is just defined to perfection, mm. and three things I never even considered doing, uh. mm. and I should have done all four of them. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's good. How do you handle pressure? I love pressure. It's it's motivation and it's focus. Sure. Uh, it's having, again, having a, an outline, having a to-do list, having a timeline, um, working on budget. It just goes back to like, this is the same way you run a business. You know, you, you put together timelines, budgets, expectations, and, and then, you know, you have to perform. And so I look at everything like that. That's just yeah. how my brain is wired. Yeah, that's great. Normally we end the podcast by the question that I'm Marty sorry, asked about I ruined 10 minutes it. earlier, yeah, yeah. 15 minutes earlier. I did. Um, however, we're going to end it with some gratitude. So Kyle, we definitely appreciate the time that you've taken out for us to allow us to be in this beautiful studio, the setup, the equipment that you share with us, the, the tips and tricks that you have shared with us and many others, mm-hmm. not just with us, but on Twitter, on social media, all your platforms. You do an amazing job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for trusting us when we first got introduced on Twitter Mm -hmm. and following each other. I I feel like that's probably one of the most things, if someone ever asked me, if I'm proud of, is when people trust someone. Yeah, that makes sense. I've never met anyone in real life. And so we appreciate you. You're definitely an authentic man, genuine man, and you do. You would give the Hall of Fame jacket off the back to me, I would think. <laughs> you would look good in that jacket. Yeah, I'd be a future Hall of Famer. That's right. But we, we appreciate you, Kyle. You are a great man. You do great stuff on social media, great stuff for a lot of businesses around here, and, and you're just a great man, so we appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it, and everyone appreciates positive feedback, so I will absolutely take it in the spirit as in t- it is intended. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> And 2022, November, we got elections coming up. So, Margie, do you approve this podcast? I do approve this podcast. Kyle Golding? I 100% approve this podcast. <laughs> My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast. Kyle, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you, ma'am, thank so much. You. Now I'm part of the club. Yes. <laughs> part of the club.
We appreciate your support to Defining Moments Podcast. A good friend of mine once told me the best one out there is the one having the most fun, and he's exactly right, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're having the most fun. Why? Because we can and we want to. Find us on social media, Twitter, at Death Moments Pod. That's at D-E-F Moments Pod. On Instagram, Facebook, at Defining Moments Podcast. Take us on the go from iHeartRadio to Spotify. All the way to search Defining Moments Podcast. Check out our swag at DefiningMomentsPod.com. We have a merchandise store. A lot of great stuff. Follow us on social media. We love to do giveaways. Why? Because we're undefeated. Have a good day.